Hello, all Bandits fans out there. These are your guys, Trev and Tony, a.k.a. Boxhead98TL, coming at you live from Banditland Boulevard. Doing a late recap. Sorry we have lives, and we sometimes get busy, so pardon us on this uh, on this recap episode. Kind of a somber one. Bandits do fall to the Toronto Rock by a final score of 12-10. Not, I mean... Heartbreaker, kind of, because it was against a rivalry team like the Rock, but there were some reasons why they lost. And, you know, I think to start off this podcast, you got to go positive and just say we can get rid of this undefeated talk now. It was a 12 10 loss, but Tony, at the same time, we don't have to hear about this undefeated 1993 repeat uh, that we've been seeing a lot of around Bandits Twitter, around the Facebook world, and around Instagram. Yeah, unfortunately, it sucks to see the boys lose. I mean, after having six straight wins, but you got to remember, folks, is that it's a very long season. We have 18 games complete uh, total. We've won six so far. That's a third of the way, and you got to be proud of that. And yes, I mean, if we got lucky to win almost every single game, that would be great. But again, every game is going to be a tough task, and we got to make sure to you know stay the course and unfortunately there was some mistakes being made and we came up short defeating or not defeating but losing to the Toronto Rock on Saturday yeah and there were definitely some big reasons why they didn't come out on top that game um we we can get into that in a little bit but one of the things that really stings about losing this game is that the Bandits are beating all these teams, beating them in a row, and then they lose their first game to a team that did not have any fans in the stands. A team that did not have any any sort of home field, field advantage. They had nothing along those lines at all. It was in a different city, but it wasn't in front of any crowd. So it, it almost was like losing a, a home game because nobody really had a home field advantage in that one. No, nobody really did except for Toronto. I mean, obviously being in Canada and all, but, uh, and they were close by to their stadium. And again, having no fans, but to hear the guys talking and communicating and again, just minor mistakes cost them the game. So again, we got to just, you know, keep moving forward. Uh, we're going to play against Albany this Friday back home. So hopefully Johnny T's got something up his sleeve to again, where, we were talking about if it if the plan works, keep at it. But now, after suffering their first loss, do we change how much, though? What do we change to make it better and get back on that winning track? Right. You first just, and foremost, I right. think we both agree is that the face-offs are key. And we didn't do that good at all all Trevor go ahead and tell them about it no man I mean it was absolutely ridiculous as far as the face-offs go the Buffalo Bandits all night won one single face-off they won one and the rest I mean the the Bandits first and foremost I think they don't need to change much but they do have to change drastically the face-off department the Bandits need a FOGO because I think me and you have mentioned this on this show multiple times. Mm -hmm. The only Achilles heel to this team is, God forbid, the Bandits are down by one with two minutes to play or with 30 seconds to go. They have to win a faceoff to win the game. I don't think they have the right guys to be to go out there and get one. What you need is a Jay <clears throat> Thornburg. What you need is an established guy that will win you the faceoff, flip the ball to the forward, and get off the field. I think that is the one thing that the Bandits are lacking right now because one faceoff win – 
I don't care who you're facing against. I don't care if you have the most stacked offense, stacked defense, stacked, stacked goaltending in, in the league. One face-off win is absolutely unacceptable. Yeah, one win out of 26 total face-offs, and that's pretty depressing to say as a stat. Um, and, of course, it was only Chase Frazier with the only victory onto that one, but everybody else that got in the face-off circle, Weiss, Nor- uh, Noseworthy, and uh, and I believe McKay got a few in there. And believe me, folks, if you don't have that top center or that guy that wins you the face-offs to kick it off and have control of the game, things can go wrong in a heartbeat. And it was the Bandits' game to steal, especially in the fourth quarter when things were getting really, really close. The game was mm-hmm. tied at nine apiece, and then I believe they were tied at ten in the fourth quarter. Um, mm-hmm. Then the Rock scored the, a goal to make it 11-10 with 156 remaining in the fourth quarter to hold on to win. They ended up winning 12-10. And remember the guy that you brought up, Mr. Tom Schreiber, as a key player yep. to watch? My mm-hmm. God, did he did he show up. He scored four of Toronto's eight first-half goals, including back-to-back power play goals. So the keys to the game and the players to watch go hand-in-hand. Schreiber scores the goal. Bandits don't stay disciplined. That leads into Schreiber scoring back-to-back power play goals. Yep, and of course, when things go wrong, and especially when one bad call goes to another bad call and towards uh, frustration penalties and everything else that goes down, I mean, look at Steve Priolo. We didn't even unexpectedly know about that unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, and I don't even know where it started. But you got if you're the captain of the team, and no offense to him, but you have to show leadership. You have to maintain discipline. And again, Depending on what it was, I don't know what fired up Steve Priolo at the time when he got that unlike, uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, but got to bite your lip and just keep grinding and keep pushing forward. And you can't just let that stuff happen and keep uh, keep you guys in the box all night. Because, again, even though um, we stopped three out of five, 60% of the time in the box, but, again, we always have that trouble with our opponents scoring power play goals when they need it. And yes, we went two for four as well. We were 50% on the power play, which is good. Um, But again, and it was a lot less penalty minutes this game than it was the previous meeting. Um, Buffalo with only having 15 Toronto having only 13, but again, with the missed calls and with, we see what the refs don't see and we get it. But again, the referees have to do their job, which I felt like they did a little bit better this time because they maintained discipline as much as they possibly could, um, keeping it to a minimal penalty minutes. Of course, there was the fighting between McCauley and so. It was very and, nice to uh, see that. But again, yeah. you know, again, at least it wasn't a cluster and uh, where referees were getting knocked down and penalties are going over 30. You know, at least it was more disciplined. I got to give the refs that. But again, for the Bandits team itself, you have got to stay out of the box. That's your oh, weakness right my. now. Good. Yes, you are pe- you are preaching to the choir here, Tony. And it's not like we're going to be sitting here at Bantland Boulevard telling you guys, the only reason why we lost this game is because of the referees. No, absolutely no. not. But they are a problem that the Bandits need to figure out because this is, I call it something that's beyond their control. It's the officiating. You, you can't pay off the refs and say, here, call these call these penalties when I actually deserve one. But you have to figure out a way to win around the referees. And the Bandits have been doing that a lot this year, winning six out of seven. And believe mm-hmm. me, 
I bet I went to the Calgary game. I went to the Georgia game. I went to the Toronto game. My God, those referees were terrible. But the Bandits still won those games and won those games handily. So they've done that a lot this year. We're not sitting here and blaming the referees. But when you look at a stat like 15 penalty minutes and only winning one faceoff, you, you, you got more penalty minutes than your opponent did, technically mm-hmm. with 15 over 13, and you only won one faceoff, the writing's on the wall why the Buffalo Bandits lost this game. And I was telling Tony off air, they won one faceoff, and this offense is so good that they still managed to score double-digit goals. Yeah, double-digit goals indeed, especially with the um, Kyle Buchanan and with Dane Smith, of course, doing what they do best, um, scoring when they have to and scoring when it, time was come to start scoring. And again, you can't rely on the same guys to actually do all the scoring for you. I'm glad that there's more multiple guys that, you know, jumped in and scored like Connor Fields had a good hat trick today or that Saturday. Uh, Toka had a goal. Um, Josh Byrne had a goal. So did Spanger. He stepped up and got that. And of course with um, Kyle Buchanan and Dane Smith having two apiece. So again, we have a high powered offense, but Toronto's defense maintained that that game and that's what we got to expect too is that not every game could go our way and this is the start of maybe of things to come but again this is what goes on for the season as we face uh the second phase of two out of third seasons the next six games coming up so we have to either you know fix it and move forward or we're going to start going backtrack which i'm sure johnny t is not going to let that happen no, absolutely not. And you got to think too. Bands are still six and one. They're still five games above five hundred. They're still number one in the East. Um, I don't think. I think every team just has to lose. It's so hard to go undefeated in any sport. Doesn't matter what it is. Football, hockey. It's impo- nearly impossible. Mm-hmm. Don't even get me started with baseball. You can't even. You can't even win a hundred. You can't even win hundred ten games a year if, if you're a really good team. So it's really mm-hmm. hard to go undefeated in every single sport. Um, but I bet you you would agree with this on me or with me, that the Toronto Rock won this game in the trenches. That's by getting down, getting dirty, and winning those face-offs. Their transitions were the reason why they won that game. And, of course, Hellier and Schreiber and, and all them guys on offense. Yeah, Rogers, Hellier, and Schreiber. Those are the three dangerous names on that Toronto Rock team. And, again, they create they created plays to make work and they set the picks. They did what they needed to do. And of course they just had our number that day. So we're going to have to just read upon it, follow through on some tape and then move on to the next game when we see them. But again, that's what we're going to have to do as a team. We can't just pinpoint, okay, who made the mistakes? Who did this? Who did that? It's a team effort. You guys lost as a team. So now you've experienced it. Now we move forward. And were there some positives? Yeah, definitely. There were some. There were definitely some positives. I mean, Josh Burns' goal when he was up in the air. I mean, that was awesome. Spanger mm-hmm. scoring on a breakaway like he usually does. There were some nice goals. Vino made some good saves, but you know, this wasn't a blowout either. I mean, the Bandits lost twelve ten. It was competitive, other than the faceoff category. It was competitive the whole way, and this is why they call it a rivalry because the Bandits will beat the Rock occasionally, and the Rock will beat the Bandits sometimes. That's all part of the rivalry, right there. And That's right. the only thing the Bandits can do now is focus on Friday night, focus on beating a team like the Albany Firewolves. I know this is our first time playing Albany, but this is a team that the Bandits have dominated a lot 
over the course of a few of a few years when they've been in the in the league. But re, we can get into that once we get onto our preview. But mm-hmm. you know, if if you fix a couple of things on this Bandits team, I mean. I really wish Jay Thornburg was on was on the Buffalo Bandits right now. I mean, that guy, if he was on this team, I think the Bandits would be unstoppable. They have great great faceoff numbers. They already have a great offense. We know that. A solid defense mm-hmm. and probably the best goaltender in the National Lacrosse League in Matt Vince. All we need is a FOGO. Like I'm I'm looking around seeing like, hmm, free agent, free agent, free agent. Just get a guy who's like Get a guy who's waiting to be picked by a team, throw him in practice, see how he does. I mean, I, I don't think Chase Frazier's role is to be taking faceoffs. He's out there to snipe and score goals. We need a FOGO. Yeah, that's true because it, without a faceoff guy, then what are you going to do? How are you going to control the game if you don't set a tone right off the gate? Um, especially with not having Jay Thornburg, not having Vaughn Harris, not having uh, even Edwards at the time. Um, we need somebody like that. We don't have Chad Culp. We don't have those guys no more, but we have to have either one guy do it all or we have no guys do it at all because this is kind of scary right now, especially with this statistic because everybody is asking about, well, who's going to be doing the face-offs right at the beginning of the season. That was the main priority. Who's going to be the face-off guy. Frazier, maybe, but you can't rely on just him to do it all. I mean, you got, I mean, if he could do it, that's great. But winning one face off out of 26 during Toronto's game, that should be a wake up call to this team or to the coaching staff to say, we must do something to fix the little bump in the head. And basically we need something stone cold. We need to settle it down and we need to go somewhere. I think if the bandits were, uh, looking for a face-off guy, I'd say stick with one guy, let him get used to it, because sooner or later he will grow and get better. So if that's the case, Chase Frazier, so far, statistically by percent-wise, is your go-to guy. Let him continuously take the face-offs. No offense to Nick Weiss, no offense to Noseworthy, and no offense to McKay. And you Ethan it, O'Connor. Take it. And O'Connor, especially, he wasn't even there. No. That was a big. That was a big part of the problem that he was not there for transition, and we don't know. I personally don't know if he was hurt or he had COVID or so on. But that was weird, not having O'Connor in the lineup that night. Yeah, it, it wasn't ideal either. I mean, he's he's a very underrated player, but at the same time, it's like you need any face-off guys you can. Noseworthy, mm-hmm. he's a he's a great physical player, but you know he struggles in the faceoff circle. Chase Frazier, you can argue, shouldn't even be in there in the first place. Like he should just be out there taking shots and scoring on offense. So, you know, we had guys that you mentioned like Chad Culp. We had guys like Jay Thornburg that would consistently win faceoffs and mm-hmm. set up guys like Mark Stainhouse and Johnny Tavares back in the day. Mm-hmm. We have a if you can argue that the bandits right now have a better offense than they did in like 2009 and uh, 2010, uh, you get, it's probably right up there with around 2008, 2016, 2019. It's giving me those kinds of vibes. Mm-hmm. Imagine if you had a guy that can just win half the faceoffs. You probably don't that, lose any game. You're probably seven and zero right now. Mm-hmm. That would be a big difference, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if just a couple of things go go right, I think the Bandits be able to tie this game. But the one player who put the nail in the coffin for the Toronto Rock on a pass from Nick Rose, 
no one other than Mitch just knew to close the casket on the Bandits to end their undefeated run to put them up 12-10, and that closed out the game. Mitch Desnew, how about – and the Bandits' Twitter didn't even mention his name when he scored. They said, quote, the Rock net another one. It's 12-10. Mm. Yeah, Mitch Desnew. I mean, granted, he led the team uh, for a lot of years with loose balls on the team and also getting the much-needed goals when uh, – you know, his team needed him and we unexpectedly never, ever see him score like that. And it's like, wow, he just did that to us. A direct he assist just, from the goaltender too. Boom. Just did not even care. He's just like, you know what? I'm playing for this team now. So I'm going to do it to you. Like I did it to every team. I remember um, a few years back when he was playing for the bandits at the time and he scored a game winning overtime goal against new England black wolves. When we were tied, I believe at 11 and we won 12 to 11 that day. I was at Mohegan sun for that game. And that was so ridiculous. I never thought Mitch just would score it. And I'm like, is that possible? Anything's possible. <laughs> Mitch Desnew did it, and he did it again, and he did it to us this time. And unfortunately, yes, Mitch Desnew was a great defenseman, a big key, uh, like a wall. He like just didn't give you the time and day. But a lot of my friends would like to say he had cement feet. He was very slow, but maybe so, but he was very, very smart, and he knew exactly how to play his position well. Yes, and he knew how to block shots. He was always physical, always laid people out. Um, you know, he was he was great as a bandit, and I, I did miss him when I saw that he went to Toronto. I'm like, oh, man, you know. But mm-hmm. he's 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 at least we know that he's holding his own, and the, the players still like him. They're, they still shake his hand after the game. Everyone still, everyone still loves Mr. Snowy. I think he's still one of the players' favorites because uh, there was a video that came out, I believe – I believe it was right off of ESPN Plus when they were showing the handshakes and <clears throat> Mitch Desnew was hugging Dane Smith and hugging guys mm-hmm. like McKay and Chase Frazier. You know, they still love him. And I think Bandit fans, you know, we don't like the jersey that he's wearing, but we like right. Mitch Desnew as, as a player. He had – I've heard of the cement feet thing too, but it seemed like whenever he was out there on the field, like something big was going to happen, whether it's going to be a big hit or a fight or a block shot or something like that. Yeah, especially with this new. I mean, the way a lot of my friends were like saying to uh, to me saying, you know what? He's not that great of a defenseman. I'm like, you're misunderstanding the whole concept of what he is. I mean, you, not everyone's fast. Not everyone is uh, smart at their position, but I think he is smart at his position. But I also I'm maybe not as fast, but he makes plays, too. And that's another thing that sucks not having him on the team, too. And a lot of these guys need to realize, you know, He's moved on. They let, you know, Buffalo let him go. He's now with Toronto and we had to face the consequences about it. So, but again, props to you, Mitch Desnew. You did score a good goal at the right time. And yeah, that daggered us a little bit. But again, it's a game. We win and we lose, but we keep moving forward. So all I can say is here's another thing too, that kind of besides Mitch Desnew, did you see when they had to review Chase Frazier's potential goal, when they called it goal, um, Foot, foot in the crease. Yep, foot in the crease. The foot was was the foot in the crease, or did the ball cross at the time over the line and then bounce back out, or well, did it not cross at all? What do you did you think? Here's what I think. I think when he shot the ball, he was in the air. Mm-hmm. It bounced. It definitely hit twine. We so okay. that means it crossed the line. Exactly at the same time, his toe hit the inside of the crease. The call on the field was a goal. And mm-hmm. I did not think that they had enough 
I didn't think they had irrefutable evidence to overturn the call. And what do you know? They did. Chase mm. Frazier was and Johnny T were panned by the cameras over on the bench. They were in disbelief. Um, you know, I, I honestly thought that that was a goal because, I mean, the call on the field was a goal. His foot mm-hmm. and the ball literally hit at the same time in the back of the net. Then his foot hits in the crease. Mm-hmm. I don't think you had irrefutable evidence to overturn that, and they and the referees did. They must have saw a different angle, or you know, they were just lost, and they said, you know what, we're going to give one to the home team here. What did you think of that call? Well, personally, I think when they when he had that nice one-handed shot, and especially the ball crossing, it looked like as soon as it hit the ground, and even before his foot planted inside the crease, it looked like the ball crossed the line. And then it came immediately like at a backspin and came right back out. It bounced out. out. Yeah. It bounced right out. But to me, with every single time they were showing it on on the TV or, uh, you know, the replay, and I said, well, if you guys called goal and you're not sure, it's inconclusive. That means, you know what? You got to go with what it's made. Like the call is made goal, so go with it. And if they overturn it because of some oddball-wise, I mean – I don't know. I mean, honestly, I think it was a goal in my humble opinion, but if they called no goal, it's like, damn, that sucks. Cause that changed the game, the whole perplexion of the game. I think that was the game changer right there to me. And isn't the rule like you need to have 100, 100% undoubtable evidence to overturn a call. Absolutely. I agree. You that was like, that was like 50, 50. You can look at it from different angles um, mm-hmm. There was one angle that literally showed it across the the entire thing crossed the line before his ball or before his foot hit the ground or right at the same time where his foot hit the ground. And I don't think that's irrefutable evidence. You need to like, you need to find an angle because you don't know what a goal that should have, that had enough evidence to be overturned. That's Brett Hall's skate in the crease goal Oof. from 19, oh, from, oh, from 1999 oh, with the Dallas stars and the Sabres. So oh, that was brutal. a goal whose foot was in the crease had irrefutable evidence, and then Gary Bettman came booking out with the Stanley Cup, preventing any chance of the referees looking at it on a replay and then continuing that third overtime. Gary Bettman was so – I mean, this is a lacrosse podcast, but you could tell who Gary Bettman was pulling for in that game six in Buffalo, and it wasn't the Sabres. It was the guys over there in Dallas, Texas. So, um, like I said, you need to have irrefutable evidence or irrefutable evidence to at least – Look at multiple angles and even challenge. Don't wouldn't you think to even challenge? But Johnny T thought that was a goal. Everyone thought that was a goal. I don't know if if the booth reviewed it or if Toronto threw the challenge flag, but whatever it was, they got the call. Yeah, Toronto did challenge it. That's why they that's why they won the uh, the challenge because of the fact that you know what I saw the coach throw the red flag, especially. When it came down to, we're like, oh, yeah, he was in the crease. He was in the crease. I'm like, maybe so. But you got to also see where the ball lied and where his foot was at the end. So if you don't know for sure, I mean, great call on Toronto's coaching staff, uh, you know, for throwing the flag at the time. But again, it just showed inconclusive evidence that the ball crossed and then it came back out. End of story. Yep. And this, I don't, I don't know if the NLL has even talked to the players' association about the referees or the referee committee, but this has been a problem going on for like five to ten years at least, with the inconsistency from these referees. They let everything go. There's, there's the crew that calls everything. There's the crew that lets everything go, and then there's the crew that just makes the wrong calls all the time. 
And then there's the crew that combines all three of those together somehow and, and figures out how to mess up a game. I think the worst officiated game I ever went to was the game one against Calgary where who scored? Was it Frazier again that scored that goal in the opposite end? They're all celebrating the goal horns going off and then they quickly wave it off and then Calgary goes down and scores. Mm-hmm. Then they called the the foot in the crease for the bandits. Then they called Calgary's goal a standing goal, and so mm-hmm. like all the bandits players were celebrating. So Vino was in like a three on O situation. Calgary goes down and scores, and that was mm-hmm. in game one of two thousand nine. That that was the worst officiated game I ever went to. I thought I was going to see a riot in the streets that night. But yeah, the referees oh, yeah. are definitely a problem. And you know how do you fix it? Where do you go from here with these guys? But no matter what it looks like. I mean, the Bandits lost by two. That was just one goal that got waved off. They did not lose tonight because of the referees. They lost because they lost the game in the trenches. Their defense kind of gave out in the fourth. Um, maybe Vino should have made a couple saves that were – you could see the just de- like the dejection on his face where he's like, man, I really should have made that save. If I get one more mm-hmm. shot at that, I stop it. But, you know, he was frustrated. You know, he knew he could have stopped some more of those shots. But, you know, what are you going to do? You know, 12-10, close game. At least they didn't lose, like, you know, our boy uh, Tracy Kaluski's team in the uh, in the Panther City Lacrosse Club losing 10-4. to The Bandits yeah. scored 10. The Bandits scored 10 and still lost. I'd take that loss any day of the week. Absolutely. And it was- with, only lose- with only losing by two, I mean, that, again, is still a, a plus sign for the for the offense and the defense. But still, again, those crucial goals that, like you said, Vino could have made the saves. You you just got to pretty much stay focused. And again, it could be numerous things. It could be like our defense screening him again, because it looks like Brownie had a little screen there. Also with, uh, with Robinson a few times. Um, who knows? I mean, that's why the goaltending and the defense have to talk. They have to communicate. They have to make sure they're not blocking his path of vision. So again, this is a wake up call for them. Now they know what they have to do for Friday. And, and hopefully, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask, is Bryce Sweeting injured? Because I saw a lot of Justin or of Robinson playing where Sweeting could have been in that second half. I'm not sure if he tweaked anything or if he was injured, but or if he was just flat out benched or just wasn't having a great night. I didn't really see a lot from him in the, in the second half. I didn't see Sweeting until maybe the halfway mark of the third quarter. And then he was just gone. Like it just, I didn't see 94 out there anymore. It was just disappeared. Yeah. You got to wonder what happened. Maybe he wasn't feeling well. Maybe he just wasn't having a great night or he was, maybe he got injured. You know, we hope for the best from him, but you were going Mm -hmm. on to saying something about Friday. If you can remember when I cut you off there. Um, No, I just said, hopefully that basically, you know, this loss, wakes them up and gets them back on track. That's all. And hopefully by then, you know, work on face-offs during practice, work on um, setting situations on defense where you're not trapped or you're not giving them a lane. You're not giving them open shots anymore. You're pushing out and making sure the shots are coming from the outside, not from up close and dead straight middle. Yeah. Well, I think that's something that they need to work on in practice. I mean, face-offs are something that they should be drilling in practice every single day saying, okay, noseworthy. Okay. Frazier. Okay. McKay. All right. All my face off guys. You guys are not allowed to leave the arena until you, all of you guys win at least 10 face offs. 
then yeah, you could leave. That could, yeah, that would definitely be a good task. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like wise. a Herb Brooks type thing, right? Like Herb Brooks from Miracle. Oh, again, yeah, again, again. Or it's like the old baseball coaches where, okay, yep, you're not getting any dinner until you throw or until you strike out at least three people here. That's right. I not, like that theory. Yeah, I think that's something that that could work. You know what? It's not the end of the world. Six and one. We get the mm-hmm. weight lifted off our shoulders about that undefeated nonsense that's kind of overrated in a way. We saw what happened with the undefeated Patriots in 07. They go mm-hmm. 18 and one. They went undefeated in the regular season. Great. And then the first two playoff games. Great. They lost the biggest game of the year. So it's not. It's almost like it doesn't really matter anymore. So the Bandits are going to take this one, six and one. The Rock are now five and three. They have to go into this weekend. It's going to be in Bandit Land. So you got to take a look at this game and go. These guys are going to be out for blood on Friday. They know what happened. They know why they lost. They're going to be angry, and they should beat up on a team like them. We're, once again, we can get into that game more on our preview, and just just for some quick stats for the rest of this game. Of course, we don't sure. have a, we don't have a player of the game because Bandits did not come out on top of this one. But Mm-mm. you got we already gave credit to the players on Toronto that deserved it. But the three stars of the game. You ready for this punch in the mouth? I'm going to start off with star number one. What a punch (laughs) in the mouth to all Bandit fans everywhere. Mitch (laughs) DeSnew, number 12, gets the first star of the game with a goal and assist, two points, and he's got four penalty minutes. You'd think they just gave it to him because he beat, you know, his former team and ended their undefeated run. Yeah, I think that's exactly what they did, but especially it was his goal that started the whole game change. Um, That's, it's where they said, okay, guys, we're taking off now. We're not going to let you guys get a chance to get back. And that's exactly what Mitch Tissou did. He made sure that we were never going to live this down when he scored against us. So now, again, that's a shock to me um, that he is the first star. But, again, he deserves it. I mean, clear as day. He's got like, he's got like, uh, he had like six or he had how many loose balls? He had like six or seven himself. Oh, let me see. That's yeah, the, that's the thing. Yep, he and he also to. he also caused three turnovers in clutch <laughs> situations as well. So he I mean, used our tactics like that. I'm sorry, he used our tactics like that when he learned with Buffalo, and he put it against us. That's. Ah, don't do that to us right now, Mitch. Just do. What that did. is the one part that stinks about trading within your division and trading within your conference is that your old players know how you operate because he also played under John Tavares in 2019, so he already knows what he's doing against us. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Credit to him. First star of the game, Nick Rose. This one also kind of makes me sick, too, is the second <laughs> star of the game because this is a guy that the Bandits usually dominate, and you know he got his moment in the sun against us. He played the full 60 minutes, got 47 uh shots let me see yeah 47 shots he only let in 10 of those goals and made 37 saves and he got three assists so you know what good good for nick rose because you know finally get your moment in the sun against the boys in the orange and black yeah nick rose definitely stood up this time he was prepared for anything that was going to be shot low shot anywhere towards him i mean yeah burn Smith and all of the other guys have his number, but he had theirs that night. And especially he was prepared for this one. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He wasn't going to allow double digit. Well, allow the rocks team be down half what we did last time, 12 to six. And uh, yeah, he stood on his head props to you, Nick Rose. 
And are we surprised by the third star, like, at all? I think maybe no. you, you can switch the first and the third around, uh, respectively, but you know what? Mishus knew being a number one against the Bandits, I'll let him have his moment, but Tom Schreiber, four goals, two assists, and two power play goals. I think you can honestly flip the third and first stars around, and nobody would question it, but Tom Schreiber had a great night. Yeah, I called it right in the get-go. That's the guy you got to watch. And boy, oh boy, did he shut us up real quick. You know, making sure that we were not going to be bullying him around or bullying his team around. We just basically knew, or we as podcasters and also followers of the Buffalo Bandits know, he is dangerous all the time against this team, against us, the Buffalo Bandits. And we, we probably said this a thousand times. Got to watch him. Got to make sure he's not having possession of the ball because he will make sure to be dangerous with it. He'll he'll create plays. He'll score the goals. And boy, oh boy, six points, two of them which were on the power play again, like you said. And God, he is dangerous. He's Every a very good time player. He's on the floor. Man, That's he the is... kind of guy we would. I would love to have on the team. I'll tell you that right now. Well, absolutely. I mean, man is a sniper. He's a playmaker. He's just really good. That's that's overall. I mean, what else could you really say about him? I mean, he makes that team watchable. I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're five and three now. They're on their way up. They've won three games in a row. Bandits have lost one, six and one, but they're still number one in the East. Tom Schreiber, you know, if you're a casual lacrosse fan or just a fan in general, that doesn't have a team, watch him. Or on our side, watch a guy like Josh Byrne. Watch a guy like Chase Frazier. Watch a guy like Dane Smith and Tohoka Nanakok and guys like that. You know, mm-hmm. it's it lacrosse. This this sport is is extremely underrated. You'll have the games where, you know, especially as Bandits fans, you'll have those games where you dominate, and you're pumping your fist. But then you'll have those games where that just leave you scratching your head. I think the game on Saturday, you know, kind of left me scratching my head. Then I looked at the overall box score and the stats. One damn faceoff one in yeah. 60 minutes of play. That, that there's your outlier right there. That's that's. You know, that that's why you lost the game. And if you look at the penalty summary, look at these calls that the referees made. Okay. Holding normal. Okay. Holding on noseworthy. Holding on Reinhold. Illegal substitution. Come like that is a penalty that is so preventable and that just falls on the bench not paying attention. Illegal substitution. I think Brad McCulley took the bench minor there. Chris Cloutier got a holding. But then you had, you know, Mitch just knew cross-checking. He'd, he'd always do that on the Bandits, too, so not surprised. Mm. McCauley and Hostrauser were both fighting. Um, yep. I think McCauley was just standing up for his guys. Unsportsmanlike going to Steve Priolo in the third. Like, we cannot have that. I don't know mm-hmm. what was said or what was done behind the play that the cameras didn't pick up. Like, Steve, you're our captain. We love you, man. But your team, for the most part, I believe, in the third quarter was losing. You cannot take a two-minute unsportsmanlike minor in that third quarter. Um, to quote you on that, we actually won the third quarter two nothing. Oh, we we won that. We won the third quarter. We I won just that meant, quarter. That was the only quarter we won that day. I meant, did we did we tie it up? Were we losing in the third at all, or did were we tied for most of the time in the third? Yeah, we were still losing at the time. We were down uh, eight six. Yeah, you know that's um, that's just. That's just not yeah, the right time eight, to six. it's not it, it isn't the right time to take a penalty is all I was saying when you're losing right or, and, mm-hmm. and when you're tied too yeah especially um mm-hmm. and then Ian McKay got a slashing call same with yeah. uh Jubinville for the for the Toronto Rock usually the refs let you get away with a lot of slashes that you know they must have been egregious for you mm-hmm. to call it 
Like I've seen interviews with Dane Smith and Josh Burn on the instigator saying they, the referees will give you nine warnings about a slash before they finally call you for a two minute minor. They must've right. just been very physical, but overall looking at that penalty sheet, very unique. In fact, you know, you, you see mm-hmm. a lot of holding calls, you see fighting, but you know, we cannot have the illegal substitutions. We cannot, we cannot have the unsportsmanlike unless some other guys go into the box as well. So just some things the bandits need to clean up before they go into Friday's game, which is coming up in a couple nights, actually. Uh, you, you need to clean up the penalties. You need to get a face-off guy. Steve Dietrich is definitely watching. He definitely watched that game, saw the the non-successes in the face-off circle, and he's going to make the necessary changes because that's just what he does. This is a professionally run franchise, and I have all the faith in the world that they're going to fix it and try to make this championship run this year. Yeah, the Bandits do know what they have to get done, but now is the time where we feel that change is in order. We need to – this is where we're like, if the game plan is good, keep with it. But now the game plan's changed. Now we have to fix what we have to fake – or not – wow, I could talk. Sorry. <laughs> um, we need to fix what needs to be fixed, and that's exactly what we need to do, and that's especially with the face-offs and, again, with being disciplined. But again, we need to protect Vino a little bit more better defensively. And for the scoring, I mean, honestly, 10 goals could win you a a lacrosse game. But I think you still need to get that little extra push to get the, uh, you know, maybe 14, maybe 15 will secure it. I don't know. This game and age now, you'll need 14 or 15 to win games. And I think by now, like the the Bandits know what they did wrong. They know that they should have scored more goals. They know they should have had more opportunities. And this game is just in the rearview mirror now. They're looking on a Friday night because that's mm-hmm. you cannot sit and dwell on this. Then you're going to get into the rabbit hole where you catch a losing streak. You don't want to go down there. So I think what the Bandits need to do is you know tighten up their faceoffs. We've been beating this horse to death, but I'm going to say it again. Stay out of the freaking penalty box. And... <laughs> You know, just play your style. Play Johnny T style, and you should go in there and smack Albany around like you should. That's right. I mean, again, we have to make sure that every single game, do not take it lightly. You go in there, and you go in there tough, ready, and focused. We've, we felt if like you the, don't, it'll be like the, it'll be like the, the Riptide game. Like the yeah, bandits, exactly. the bandits Another thought that, that game, game was done. They thought that game was done going into the fourth. They thought, hey, we got this 14-11, it's over. We got this. Only 15 minutes left. The the Riptide come in six straight goals, and the bandits had to crawl their way back and win that one in overtime. And yep. then they they took their foot off the gas against Rochester, still held on to win that game. They built up a nice enough lead through the first three quarters to coast the rest of the way. And mm. this one was just, you know, back and forth from the start. It, it just came down to fundamentals and faceoffs. That's how you win games. The more the more faceoffs you win, the more time of possession, the more time on attack you have. That's just common knowledge. So, you know, we don't have a player of the game, but if I were to give props to a, I'm trying not to throw up to a Toronto <laughs> player here, it's going. It is going to Nick Rose, in my honest opinion, because you know he mm. stepped up. He knows that this team dominates that the bandits dominate Nick Rose. He finally held his own. I'll give him the the most respected props because we're nice. We are respectful. We don't totally just go in and bash the other team here on Banditland Boulevard, brought to you by Anchor.fm, nope. by the way. Um, we go in here and we tell you how it is. We will give you props. 
And if, if you come in and you punch in the mouth, we're going to tell you that. And that's exactly what Nick Rose did. Yeah, my guy again, Tom Schreiber. God, this guy just absolutely loves scoring against us. And that would be the guy or player of the game that I would have chosen. And buddy, you got you got so much skill, dude. I have nothing but love for you. And you have the leadership skills to help the rock out of their basement. And I don't think they're in the basement, but I know they're capable of getting back to the playoffs with the man like him. So right. I kudos to you, Tommy. That's all I can say is kudos to you. And that's the final from Saturday. Final score, Rock 12, Bandits 10. The Bandits are at it tonight on Friday. Come to the KeyBank Center get your tickets because it's going to be a good game against Albany. The Firewolves, for the first time, they're coming to town ever since mm-hmm. changing, rebranding their team from the New England Black Wolves. So, Tony, any final thoughts from this one before we can finally forget about this game? Yeah, I could say one more final thought. Basically, uh, I was going to bring this up earlier, but they basically played your game and they reverse rolled. Basically, they were the aggressor. They were the score first and never looked back. And that's exactly what they did. They played our game and used it against us. So we have to get that back for the next game. We need and for the following. Always be the aggressor. Set the tone. Be the team to beat. And Toronto showed you that's the way you got to play. And the bandits were doing it for the first six games, but unfortunately for game seven against Toronto, they decided to change things up and we were getting outscored. They scored the first goal and they maintained the lead. We never had the lead at all. So we need to do that back. We've got to have that game plan back. So for this game going on and then some be the aggressor, set the tone, score first and never look back. Right, and stay out of the penalty box. Absolutely, And stay right? out of the penalty box, yes. Wow. Absolutely. Yep, so that's pretty much all we got from this game recap. The Bandits lose their first of the season to the Toronto Rock, 12-10 to 10 in front of no fans. I, that's the part that kind of just gets under my skin. But Tony, Very disappointing. from me, myself, and Tony, thank you for listening, and we will come back to you. We will come back with you on the preview episode where we host – the Albany Firewolves ever since they changed their name and their rebrand. They're coming to Buffalo for the first time wearing their very, very sweet jerseys, by the way, we'll talk about that more on the preview episode, but thanks for listening to bandit land Boulevard brought to you by anchor.fm. The easiest way to make a podcast. We'll see you on the next one. Let's go bandits.